As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. Today I have a very special guest, Mr. Joe Mo. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. This is great. Uh, I wonder what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I don't know. Well, audio listeners may not know unless they, well, it should be in the title, so they'll know too. Hi, audio <laughs> listeners. Yes, uh, if, if you're not listening, on, if you are listening on audio, you can always go watch it on YouTube too if you want to see us, so got it well, on we are there as well. We spectacular beings, so you there might want to Yeah, it's great to be here. Boy, we, we've... Uh, turns out we've known each other a few years in the convention scene and uh, exactly. wandering around other like-minded horror freaks like ourselves. And uh, I'm just really happy you reached out to me because if there's one thing I like uh, more than spending time with you and our, our fans, it's talking about my favorite, favorite horror movies. And I think you've got one tonight. That is right. Well, before we get into that, let's let you talk a little bit. You're a man sure. of many talents. Tell a little bit, everybody about your history in the horror family and the horror community. Sure. I, ha- I never get tired of talking about that because it brings up Forrest J. Ackerman. Um, like many of you, I was a kid, you know, there's a lot of you in rural America. I was in South Pacific America. I was born and raised in Hawaii. So even though my family were show business people, my only connection to uh, the mainland and all the excitement of show business and the horror that I loved was through a magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. And it was published in 1958 by an incredibly brilliant genius who practically invented fandom. His name was Forrest J. Ackerman. And James Warren was his publisher. And together, these guys brought out this monster magazine where we call him Uncle Forey, turned the camera away from the stars in front of the camera and toward the people that made the movies. So suddenly, all kinds of little kids like Rick Baker, who was going to be a doctor or dentist, said, wait a minute, it's the makeup artists that make monsters and became uh, makeup artists nine Oscars later and yeah. <laughs> and all the George Lucases and Steven Spielberg's of the world and Stephen King's were reading this magazine and realizing that their little obscure hobby was much bigger than they thought and that there were people like them. And even today, when you talk to people like Guillermo del Toro, um, Peter Jackson, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll, they'll tell you, I thought it was the only person in the world that loved this stuff. So through Forey's magazine, I got the bug and, and learned a lot about our horror history from the classics, universal classics, from the silence right up, you know, through the through the 40s and 50s. One day, I made the trip to California, went to visit Forey, who used to open his eight his 800,000 item museum to the public for free every Saturday. Wow! So I went to go visit Uncle Forey, and I looked at this stuff and saw everything from the dinosaurs from the original king kong to uh, bela lugosi's cape from his stage dracula and and uh, plan nine from outer space and you could touch these things and, and look at them and examine them and for would tell you stories about them and uh it blew my brain right out of my head and at the end of the day i just said hey this is a big place it looks like you need help he says oh pal come back tomorrow and help me sort things out and i never left I ended up living with him. I ended up working with him to the day he died. And so along the way, I was steeped in horror because all of his fans would come to visit us. And I met 
the greats. You know, Angus Scrim would visit quite often. They were good friends. And John Landis would walk through and bring somebody through each time. You know, some famous, incredible people. Penn and Teller came through. Leo DiCaprio stopped in one day. Uh, the old timers, Ferdinand Maine, Vincent Price, um, Christopher Lee would come by. Forey was sort of the magnet for all of the people that made movies and loved horror. So that's, uh, that's where I get my pedigree. I got to grow up and, you know, as an adult and, and learn about the stuff I love from the people that made it and who were in it. Having taken care of Forey as he became older until the day he died, um, I, you know, accumulated a lot of goodwill in the community. So I was able to, you know, maintain some relationships with a lot of uh, fans and a lot of uh, Forey's famous fans. And uh, that's brought me to today where I do my own thing. I'm a screenwriter. I've written films, had films optioned. I've uh, produced a film called Red Velvet, which is a, you know, pretty, pretty cool um, deconstructed slasher movie that you can still see, I think, on uh, Amazon. And uh, it was on Netflix a while, a while ago. I write the uh, catalog for Heritage Auctions in the entertainment and uh, music department. So I get to handle all the props from the classics all the way up to contemporary stuff. You name it, I... Um, I'll tell you some of them that relate to the movie we're going to talk about tonight a little later. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and this part of my life, now that I'm an old grandpa monster, is um, I'm trying to encourage young fans to find their voice because it's their, their responsibility to themselves to develop their voice as a storyteller, and then it's their responsibility to share it with the rest of us. So that's how we, we get more stuff. So I've I'm, I'm been mentoring a lot of uh, new writers, getting them to write short stories, and then publishing them with uh, Nicholas Grabowski and Black Bedsheet Books in hard copy books. So if anybody out there wants to contact me about starting to write or, or finding a, a home for some of their short stories, um, I'm always, I'm all ears. And that's, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. A very big, overblown, blah, blah, blah nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was awesome, man. It's a great upbringing for sure. I love it. So now we're going to get on to the main course. We're going to be talking about an absolute classic. Probably, if I had to go with my favorite straight-up horror movie, it would be this. And mm -hmm. I am talking about The Exorcist. Life had been good to Chris McNeil. She was a successful actress. Her daughter, Reagan, was a happy, healthy 12-year-old. Until that night at the party. When a terrible force entered their lives and strange things began to happen nobody expected it nobody believed it and nothing could stop it that thing upstairs isn't my daughter you tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good you tell me that the one hope the only hope the Exorcist, rated R. Mother, what's wrong with me? Joe, tell everyone when you first saw this film. Well, I'm older than most of you out there that are still living. And, uh, you know, I was probably 14 when the movie came out. There are two movies. My, my family was very liberal, very artistic. My dad was an artist, an entertainer. My mother was a psychiatric specialist. So they were very, very open to me doing what I wanted. But there were two movies my mother didn't want me to see. One of them was Psycho because it scared the crap out of her when she was a little girl. 
and the other one was Exorcist because of the hype. And you guys may not know this. If, if you're, you're fanatics and have read up on it, you might know. But the hype on this movie was over the top. It was a horror movie that people said people were throwing up in, that people were having heart attacks and passing out, that it was the most horrendous thing ever. And we didn't have social media, so there was, you know, it was all word of mouth hearsay. Right. You know, very tame trailers and your imagination thinking the <laughs> worst. So by the time this, this kid, this teenage kid, got to go sit in the Kuhio Theater in Waikiki to see this movie, I was so wound up. I mean, I, you know, I could have just peed my pants walking in the, in the theater. And it didn't disappoint. I mean, it was theatrical enough where I didn't flip out the way that I was warned people were flipping out. But it got hold of me. It scared the crap out of me. I couldn't sleep for two weeks. Every time I, oh, wow. I, my eyes would start shutting, I'd feel like I was hearing a buzz. And I'd be like, oh, God, it's trying to get in me. You know, <laughs> and I would freak out. So it did its work work on me and it left an impression that you know has never been uh, paralleled by anything else i've seen to date wow that is awesome and similarly i saw it for the first time at the age of 14 when they re-released the version you've never seen in theaters mm -hmm. that came out when i was 14 and my dad took me to see that now this was when he would take me to go see certain horror movies and then a few mm -hmm. years later he went into Passion of the Christ came out and he went down a different road that, thank God I was already over 18 at that point. I could do it. So, <laughs> it would have been a different childhood if I had had that. But yeah, I was 14 when I saw this. Now I had seen so much other horror at that point. Mm -hmm. like, I would, I still would love to experience this movie in 73 before everything that came after it. Mm -hmm. So I can't say it had that kind of an impact, but. But you got to see it on a big screen. That's so cool. I, mean, I got to see it on the big so cool. screen. And then that same year, I got my first DVD player, and The Exorcist was the first DVD that I ever bought for myself when I had money after Christmas that year. So, yeah, I just kind of always have loved it since then when they re-released it. So what is it? Tell us some things, what you love about this film. You know, it is, it is, it is everything. It's, it's not only a compelling story. But it's really manipulative in that, that it's centered around a 12-year-old girl and innocent. Um, the performances are pretty remarkable. And I think for the time, they were right up there with, with you know, the dramatic performances that were happening in other mainstream movies. Everybody was very convincing. Um, the special effects, thank you, Dick Smith. May you rest in peace. Uh, Dick Smith's makeup effects, you know, it was like the pinnacle of his his greatness and um, invention, you know, the things he came up with in order to accomplish the effects seamlessly. And they, I mean, they hold up today. I mean, his, you know, prosthetic work, his bladder work with, you know, and, and the effects, the practical effects he did, which are primarily all of the effects are practical other than, you know, maybe some of the superimposition, the comping of, of faces on things, especially in the, the, the new version that you saw right. where they, they used a little bit more of the, the subliminal stuff and everything. But I mean, you know, from the pea soup scene to the, to the, you know, the magic trick rising off a bed and the skin being ripped off the legs from the holy water, all of that's yeah. practical, you know, fish line and, and, and fish skin, you know, being pulled off of a, uh, you know, uh, a uh, nose putty or putty, you know, appliance he's put on. And, you know, I mean, just, just in incredibly inventive stuff 
that just carried the story of the film over the top for me. So um, the only other movie I can think of that hyped itself in a way that, that the movie actually exceeded the hype was Jaws. Okay. Yeah. You know, another monster movie. At right. Least I think Spielberg right. is a monster movie. So. My first episode on this show was Jaws. So look, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Many filmmakers' favorite films. Yeah, I covered that one very quickly. I had, as soon as I put out a request for different movies, I got a couple of people saying Jaws. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that one's up there pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah, I love, I, you know what? I'll tell you what I don't love. All these people that nowadays talk about how funny The Exorcist is. I don't get, I do not watch, I don't think it's cool to say it's funny now. Like people think it's a cool thing to say. Because as you said, this is an innocent 12-year-old little girl this is happening to. There's no way I can find this funny. <laughs> I, well, I don't get it. <laughs> it's fascinating to hear you say that because I said the same thing 25, 30 years ago when I was sitting watching Dracula. Or, and I, I, I'll try to explain to you um, how I came to accept it a little bit more because it really bothered me. Or King Kong or any of the old ones, you know. I mean, this is all stop motion animation in King Kong. You know, Ray Harryhausen sitting in a room pushing things, you know, measure by measure to make movement over the crazy, crazy amount of work. And people are laughing because it's dated and you can see the first shift and whatnot. But I find that the people that actually show up to see those movies, half, 75% of the laughter is them wanting to be a part of it, sort of wanting to be in the know. And sometimes the laughter is almost acknowledging you know, the scare, they, they knew that scare was happening. And you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like an inside joke and it makes people feel like they're, you know, uh, you know, wise to it and, right. and stuff. So I, I learned that some people, a majority of people aren't actually making fun of the movie. It's very distracting though. I'm not trying to give them a pass on that because to sit in a movie where you're trying to concentrate and you have to really sort of suspend your disbelief because it is dated and, it, and you have seen it so many times, it's very distracting to have people doing that. But I just wanted to let you know that in my experience, it's not all disdain for the movie. Some of it is, you know, just jaded kind of, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. I've, you know, I knew that was coming and, uh, you know, be in the know. You may be right. Some a part of me wonders how much can we blame Tim Burton for his joke in the Beetlejuice? I mean, he's a bio exorcist, so I allowed it, but... Everyone else following it up, I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Come on now. Maybe you've seen Beetlejuice too many times. Come on. All right. So we do not go into all the details on this show. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go into some sequel territory. Oh. So first, the direct sequel, part two, that followed up a few years. What are your thoughts on the heretic? Is that how you say it? Can't yeah, remember. Yeah. Exorcist 2. If you turn the sound off and don't follow the story, it's one of the most beautiful movies you can see. William Fraker, who, if I was making a movie and I could dig his corpse up, do a voodoo ritual and revive him as, you know, cinematographer and lighting guy, he's the guy. I mean, watch those sunsets. And again, practical stuff, all cyclorama backdrops and things. And, you know, this, it's not CG. The, these, these incredible fiery sunrises and, you know, and... Uh, locust storms and all this stuff is just so beautiful it's you know it's just a forgettable movie that that takes itself so seriously 
and has just such a convoluted story. It's very hard to follow it. It's very hard to forgive it, you know, going off in so many directions. Because, I mean, we just came from a really simple story, right? A really simple but profoundly disturbing story right. for a family who love each other, you know. And now we've gone into this whole, you know, realm where we're going to, you know, sort of get into Pazuzu and, and you know, go into the past and whatnot. But it's just really fractured. It, I, I didn't, I, I, I wanted to love it. Maybe, maybe if I saw it today, I'd like it a little more because, you know, I just wanted more of the same and it was a big departure. It didn't do it for me personally. Yeah, I, like I bought it on DVD, watched it one time, and I have never revisited that one because it just it did nothing for me, and I was like, I don't need this. I will stick with with the classic. But then you get Exorcist Three, mm. a lot more entertaining, that's for sure. Really <clears throat> interesting movie, underrated. George C. Scott is great. My uncle Brad Dourif is fabulous, but he, I'll tell you, Brad's my uncle through marriage. So, oh, well, I thought you were just—I thought he was just no, like something that he no, was known as, no, as Uncle Brad to people or something. Uncle through marriage. Oh, and wow, awesome! That's why he came to the first Mad Monster. I begged him. I said, "Please." He said, "No, Joey, I don't want to." I said, "Please." Said, All right, <laughs> and uh, you know, and so you know, Fiona's my cousin. That you know, Fiona Duraf, and I'm very proud of them. I mean, and she's just doing so well, and Brad is just an icon. You know, I remember watching him as a kid in Cuckoo's Nest and just, just watching him do these magnificent performances. And he does one in, in Exorcist 3. And unfortunately, they decided they, they wanted to have Jason, um, you know, Father Karras come back. Yeah. Yeah. And so Brad said he, he rehearsed forever for that part. I mean, and you can wa watching what he does. It's pretty phenomenal what he does with what he's got. But he said they trashed everything, then decided that Jason couldn't, um, couldn't, he's kind of an alcoholic, I guess. I guess he was, you know, you know, just really unable to do the lines and things. So he decided they wanted Brad to do more again. And he had to come in last minute and refilm stuff. Oh. So he rehearsed, rehearsed and done his best work, got chopped, then had to come back and recreate stuff oh. on the spur of the moment. But that said, it's still a magnificent performance and some of the best at least one of the best jump scares, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I defy anybody to find something that's been made in the past, you know, 20, 25 years that, that, it, that outdoes that. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's great, but right. I, don't, I don't know of any that outdo that, that jump scare. And, and I'm not even going to tell anybody who hasn't seen it, you should watch the movie just for that. Exactly. I was going to say, we're not going to spoil that. Go watch The Exorcist 3. I think I do think, at least in the horror community, it is definitely getting a better appreciation these days, especially, mm -hmm. I guess, since Screen Factory released it. Yeah. So I, th I think it is coming kind of like Halloween 3. Halloween 3 got trashed yeah. and it's now getting a bigger appreciation amongst fans. I love that movie. You know, if they if they were going to depart, it was so whimsical and fun and entertaining and creepy. And my mask is in it. So I was really excited. Oh, hold on, hold on. Side story. Yes, side, side story. Yeah. When I was when I was your age, you know, when I when I first came to Hollywood, I, you know, I was an artist, I was a sculptor, and the first thing I did is go to Don Post Studios, and I'd correspond with Don Post Senior when I was a kid about the masks and things. By the time I got to Hollywood to visit to see if they needed me to, you know, give me a job sweeping the floors, Don Senior was gone, but Don Junior had taken over. 
And so I went into this red brick building. I dreamt about my whole childhood, you know, as I was probably, what, 19 or 20. I walked in the door and Don Jr. was there. And I said, oh, hello, Mr. Post. Mr. Post is my dad. I'm Don. I said, you know, I was a big fan of your dad. What's your name? Joe Mo. He says, I know who you are. I said, you know who I am? He says, yes, you were my dad's biggest fan. So what do you, what do you want to do? I said, I'll sweep a floor or whatever. He says, you know, I, I think you're probably overqualified for that. You want to make a mask? And I said, I would love to try. He said, all right, well, make something, bring it back to us, and we'll, we'll take a look, and we'll have the whole crew critique it. And, and I said, okay. And he said, he saw that I was like a deer in the headlights. He says, you don't have any materials at all, do you? I said, no. Come on, kid. He took me back, gave me a plaster armature, gave me all the clay tools, clay, the works. And I went home, and I made this mask. And um, it was a mask. You can see it in 1982 catalogs and stuff. It was a head with a head growing out of it with the mouth joined and whatever. And yeah. I wanted to call it Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> he said, we will be sued. So they called it schizoid. And it, I think it went into production in 82 and 83. So this kid from Hawaii got to see his mask in, in, in the magic shop in Disneyland and Hollywood all over the place. And then it was in Halloween three. It's, it's on one of the shelves when they go into Don Post studios, it's one of the masks that are on the, on the shelves in there. So Imagine, imagine what how I felt. Yeah, no kidding. That is that is awesome. Yeah. Now that gives me a reason to rewatch Halloween three again. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to look for that this time. All right, now we're back on track, and we're gonna talk about what if you could have gotten your own sequel. What would you have wanted to see? Maybe even if you just did it as soon as you know the extras was over, a few years later. However, you wanted to do it. I probably would have. Okay. The Exorcist answered a lot of questions. You know, it really did. It's a complete movie. Yep. It, you know, the mysteries are mysteries of life that can never be deciphered. But the backstories and mysteries of the characters are all pretty well answered. The one thing that isn't answered for me is Marin's first encounter with Pazuzu. And Marin's, Marin's, I would have loved to see Marin go through the process that Karis did, not believing, right. questioning his faith. <laughs> deciding how he's going to approach it, and then the experience of, of doing it. I, I would have liked to see that movie. It would have been a period piece. Right. I think it would have been, there would have been some similarities. You could have had echoes from The Exorcist, you know, and throwbacks there. And we could have also learned some, learned some things. I mean, I would have, if I was writing it, I think it would be really cool to, to find out at the end of this, this encounter that Marin succeeded through some happy accidents but he didn't have all the answers you know what right. i mean yeah exactly yeah. now moving forward he walks in and he's you know there's only one and you, and right. you, you think oh he knows everything but yeah. it would be great to go back there and see him muddling through it and, and having to you know figure it out and maybe screwing up in a way that succeeded and you know what i mean i think right. that yeah. was really interesting twist on it so and the good thing about that was they could have done it because i mean it seems like not most people know but you talked about dick smith's makeup his makeup was almost too good to where it cost max vencita a lot of roles later because they thought he was really that age I, i've heard and the simplest makeup ever i don't think there were i don't know if they did much more than you know latex and cotton you know just stretch his skin and you know they might have had some bags or whatever right. but yeah this dick smith is a hero hero <laughs> You know, I just, I just am such a disciple of his. He just uh, inspired so many people. All right. So now 
It's 2021. Actually, before we go there, have you? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Before we go there, did you watch the Exorcist TV show? I did. Okay. What What are your thoughts on that? Just generally speaking. You know, as as much as I've seen and as and, and as much you know as much as I consider myself a fledgling filmmaker that's had had a lot of experience in the filmmaking world, but not a lot of control myself or my career in it. I've contributed a lot. I think I can't. I'm not very good critic when it comes to genre i think everything is a valiant effort so I, I, you know and i remember i come from a time before people were accepting oscars for <clears throat> for shape of water and and get out and 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 when people are saying well you know what are you going to do besides horror what do you mean this is what i do i love horror you know not apologizing for horror come from a time when there, there wasn't a lot of it that was proudly put forward. And so to see all of this stuff on cable and whatnot, including the Exorcist TV series, unapologetically pushing the envelope, you know, bringing the stuff we love forward, I automatically have kind of a sympathetic soft spot in my heart. And it's like other shows, I'm like, nah. But with horror shows, I'm sort of like, good try, do it again. You know, I want (laughs) to. So um, I found it, I found it, with the, I found it had a lot of potential. I found that um, Gina Davis was really interesting. She's really the only thing I remember in it. As you asked me the question, I'm realizing. Oh, okay. Um, well. but, you know, I mean, she left an impression on me. Uh, the experience of watching the show was more of a like, come on, come on. And oh, <laughs> almost, almost, you know. So it, it wasn't that satisfying for me, but, but valiant effort, I thought. Yeah. Well, I also, like you talked about control, I wonder how much it being on Fox, like if it was on a more premium network or got a Netflix series, you know, uh-huh. what they could have done with it, you know? Yeah, it's true. And um, I did see the adaptation of The Exorcist on stage here in Westwood. Oh. With, uh, Brooke Shields played the mom and um, Marin was played by, he's the old actor, tall handsome guy he was in dr kildare and he was in it'll come to me it'll come to me i'm old, <laughs> I'm old. but but it, it wasn't real real good it wasn't no, you know I didn't, I didn't know they had one so yeah i mean it's been making the rounds if you if you search exorcist stage play you'll see a lot of productions and actually the the productions that i that i see um pictures from look much better than the one that i saw the one i saw was the first oh okay you know, yeah they, yeah. they adapted it and then it, it went to to the stage and then who knows where it went from there but when i saw it it was you know it wasn't wasn't that scary and it was oh, okay well yeah, yeah i'd be curious to see that though if it ever comes close i would, I no, would it's watch not, that it's not a bad play it just doesn't it doesn't have the impact sort of you know that that you'd think it's more about love and and family and love triumphing over evil and whatnot which is not a bad thing i'm not right. a cynic I, I like that but the story of the exorcist is kind of like more about faith and about you know about family and uh, people coming together strangers coming together to fight the bad guy you know and uh you know that's a simple pure story that always seems to compel people power of christ compels you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get in something. I'm not saying you want to see it because I don't want to see it, but let's, let's go there. Let's say they try to remake this instead of a TV show. They try to remake mm-hmm. the adapt the book again. 
Where you, who do you think is going to play some of these roles? Wow. Okay. Well, I think that I think I would always opt for the girl to be an unknown because I, I don't want to have any relationship to her before I meet her. But as far as the mom goes, I mean, there's any number of great actresses that could play it from Shirley Theron to, you know, gosh, who are some great ones that I love. I'd like to see like someone like Rachel Weiss do it, you know, oh, okay. like smolderingly beautiful. I'm just thinking of them as actresses playing actresses. Right. Be a cool exactly. You know, it has to be someone that's emotionally strong, but kind of vulnerable physically. I think, I think that was the thing with, with Ellen Burstyn. She was like, nobody's fool and she could handle everything. And it was kind of the thing she's, she handles everything. Right. But she wasn't going to handle that. And, <laughs> no. uh, I think I think that that was a really important character marker. The priest, wow. I would, you know, I always think of the casting of The Shining, how we got Jack Nicholson, but uh, they considered Robin Williams, and they considered Robert De Niro, and they considered, you know, they considered a lot of people you'd never expect Robin Williams, right? Yeah, Kubrick, that, thought he, Kubrick thought he was too crazy, I think. <laughs> but De Niro wasn't crazy enough. So. Right, I've, I've heard that story. That is crazy to me. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting question. Like, who would play Father Marin and who would play Father Karras? I mean, I would like to see like Mel Gibson play Marin. You oh, know, he's, he's crusty and old now, and he'd yeah. be you know, he's got a lot <laughs> under his belt, and he's probably just aching for some place to to just you know really pull his chops out and do you know yeah yeah fuck around and do it. I mean, he might even be a good director for it. I mean, he's so. He's so cinematic. I mean, I, if you ask me who my favorite directors are, he wouldn't be one of them. But when I'm thinking about this movie and thinking about his personality and, and what he's turned out, he might he might be an interesting choice for that. You know? Okay, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I'd be. I, it's like I'd be mad, but then I'd still go see it <laughs> because I'd have to. I, I you know, <laughs> I'm just you know I, I talked to my pal John Logan who who wrote Penny Dreadful. The, the series and who wrote um, he's doing a horror movie now, but he he's written everything. He was one of the writers on gladiator and he wrote Hugo and he wrote, you know, the last samurai. He's just written ton of stuff. I think he got his first Tony for the play red on Broadway when he's 18, right out of college. He's a ridiculously wow. talented writer, but you know, I asked him about remakes and he said, you know, I love the story so much. I just, I, I love to see how people, people approach it. I love to see how people handle it. I want yeah. to see how these things are brought into the into the future. And if they screw it up, I'm going to be pissed and I'm going to flip them off. But if they do a great job, we're going to have something great, you know? So, I mean, I kind of have that attitude too at this point in my life. It's like, I have a reverence for the classics, but bring them on, you know, bring them forward for the new generation. You know, I dare you and do a good job and, and I'll clap. You yeah, don't. Uh, the torture, I agree. So. For me personally, I point to Evil Dead because I was – very hesitant with that, and I came out of that thing loving that, and put that as my favorite remake now. So, now, did did you see Exorcist four? Oh, the beginning, and I forgot yeah. to talk. I forgot all about those. Yes, I I, I think I own purpose because I tried to forget nope. it myself. I, <laughs> I completely forgot they did the whole Dominion, a prequel to the Exorcist, and the Exorcist New Beginning. I forgot about those. <laughs> nope, I didn't do it on purpose. I forgot. I forgot they existed. So I did what you tried to do. <laughs> you succeeded and I brought it back to you. I just pulled you back in. <sighs> right when I thought I was out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You had tease some uh, 
like museum stuff from the exorcist that you wanted to talk about? Oh yeah, I, I've handled some really interesting things. I handled um, uh, William Peter Blatty's uh, 400-odd page uh, typescript, which is basically a manuscript of his book with all of his pencil notes on how he was adapting it to the screen. So that was really interesting, just seeing all the words from the book, which I read as a kid, and seeing what he chose to put in, what he chose to left out, how, leave out, how he adapted his own writing to, to you know, prepare it for the screen, because it was just all hand annotated with pencil, you know, through the whole script. So I handled that. I handled uh, the crucifix from uh, oh, the wow. crucifix. I handled, um, you know, some prosthetics, I think a nightgown, a Reagan nightgown. You know, it's incredible what people keep and it's incredible what people buy. And, um, you know, there's titles like that, that, I, you know, people would pay for, you know, one of the knobs on top of one of the bedposts, I'm sure somebody <laughs> would pay five grand for, you know. Probably would. <laughs> we, you know, in my business now, you know, in the auction business, we're selling memories. All of these objects and items have, you know, our vessels for our memories. Um, you know, a, a phaser you know, from Star Trek is a phase from Star Trek, but it's a multicultural thing. And, and the idol from Indiana Jones, it's multi-generational. Multi, multi and uh, that means maybe it's the, 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 the first movie your mom and dad ever took you to. Maybe it's the last movie your grandparents ever took you to. Right. The first movie you took your kids to. So all of these, these things are potent. They hold these memories. And that's, that's primarily what people are buying when they buy props. And as you know, as fans, Everything's been wrung out. So try to find something from the movie Frankenstein, right? You're not going to find it. But every now and then someone will say, I've got this call sheet. And, and people go nuts because that's that was on the set. They're never going right. to get a neck. They're not going to get a lock of Frankenstein's hair, the monster's hair. They're not going to get, you know, a neck bolt or a scar, you know, a prosthetic. Right. Or, they're not going to get that. So to have a call sheet with a coffee stain on it that was on that set of that movie they love is, is priceless. And that's, you know, so all of you out there who are listening, um, if you have anything from a movie set, don't throw it away. Hang on to it. It's valuable to somebody. You know, you may love it and hang on to it. And, you know, who knows? 20 years from now, it may put your kids through school. You never know. Uh, that, that is pretty cool, man. I love that. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, what is this museum? Well, my my job is I write the catalog for auctions. So okay. we assemble the stuff from consigners, then we auction it to the highest bidder. All over the world, people are looking for this stuff. You know, and the upcoming sale we've got, um, you know, Ripley's jumpsuit from Alien. We've got her pulse rifle from Alien. We've got you know Stan Winston's Alien versus Predator figure. It's huge. It's you know all those kinds of things that people want and small things too. You know, we've got, um, a, a, uh, Orson Welles jacket from Citizen Kane. We've got, um, you know, the last sale, we sold one of the dolls from Poltergeist, which sold for like $40,000, you know, <laughs> all of those, those, um, you know, there are different versions of it as it became more malevolent, but you know, you name it, you know, uh, somebody might want to have a director's viewfinder, you know, somebody might want to have, um, Jack Nicholson's um, director's chair with the canvas back with his name on it from which is Vistwick, you, you know, right. <laughs> the market for everything, you know, yeah, exactly. And we know, cause we love movies that much. We would, we would look through that catalog and say, Oh, I want that. You know, oh, I yep. would love to have that. 
All right. So what I want you to do now, this is oh. how we, this, yep. This, this is the fun part. <laughs> I want you to sell the exorcist on people that either haven't seen it, mm-hmm. sell it to the people that are laughing at it on why they need to revisit it and take it seriously. Just sell this to a new audience on why if they haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, they should go watch it. Okay. The Exorcist is unique in our horror heritage in that it is everything. It is a monster movie. It is a supernatural thriller. It is a haunting. It is a family, a a nuclear family fighting a beast. It is a religious epic. And it is a faith-based tug of war. And so if you like horror movies in general, because let's say you just like effects or gore, or maybe you just like scares, imagine having all of those things in a package that also gives you the profound drama and intense reaction that you get from watching like a mainstream movie that has great characters and great conflicts and people you care about. It's got everything that invests you, then pulls the rug out from under your feet. If you do what an audience is supposed to do and you walk in the theater and you suspend your disbelief for an hour, an hour and a half of screen time, however long it is, and you just get immersed in it and you start asking the magical question, what if? You'll get there and you will have an experience like I did as a 14-year-old boy. You will leave that theater with that movie in your head and it will continue in your imagination and it will do things to you that you never imagined that go beyond the screen. Only if you let it, though, you have to let it. All right. I love it. I think <laughs> I don't think I can say anything to add to that. So I think we're going to wrap this one up. Joe, won't you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find this auction, find you online, sure. all of it. You can find the, the uh, auction catalog at heritage.com, heritageauctions.com. And uh, you can look through the catalog, which will be posted soon. You can always find me on Facebook. I'll be happy to have you as a friend. Um, my email address is gojomo, G-O-J-O-E-M-O-E, at gmail.com. If you ever want to write me or ask me how you can participate in writing short stories that we might publish. And, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm here primarily to pass on whatever knowledge I have that will enhance your understanding and love of the genre that I've been help you not just be a passenger but maybe participate in ways that you've dreamt of or ways that you suspect you'd like to i'm particularly good at encouraging and supporting people to to make stuff because that means more stuff for me i get to watch more stuff so it's kind of selfish but (laughs) all right and as always you can follow the show at ynf movie pod on twitter and instagram you can watch the video on youtube if you want if not we're available wherever you get your audio podcasts at uh, I'm on TikTok now. I'm doing short movie reviews because I don't do dances, so I'm trying to figure out a way to make TikTok work for me. <laughs> but uh, I yeah, just like all... everything. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And then uh, you just head back next week. I'll have a new guest and a new movie, and who knows, that may become your next favorite movie. You guys take care. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>